15. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the great singing this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful Sunday school. I thank you, Lord, for this good crowd of people. Lord, I pray today, God, that you'd help us to preach in power. Certainly we're unworthy, but Lord, you have made us worthy. And God, through your blood, we plead that the Holy Spirit would have his free right of way. God, I pray if there'd be one lost today that you'd save them. I pray if there'd be one backslidden that you'd move them closer. And above all else, I pray, God, that you'd be glorified. Do that now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The psalmist said, man has gods that he made. He made gods with his hands. And he makes them with little eyes, but they can't see. He makes them with little ears, but they can't hear. He makes them with a little mouth, but they never say anything. He makes them. He sets them up. He worships them. Can I say to you this morning that Man is built to worship something. All men worship something. And in the absence of a real God, they'll invent gods, they'll make up gods in order to worship. But these gods don't do anybody any good. They're at best good luck charms, they're relics, they're something that are to be set up and for man to get man's attention, to make man feel a little better. But as I've been preaching over these last three or four weeks... I'm glad this morning that you and I that are saved have a God that hears, a God that sees, and a God that speaks. Amen. I'm glad, thank God, when I make my prayers to him, the Bible said he hath inclined his ear unto me. He listens. I'm glad when I live my life out and I'm facing difficulty and troubles, I've got a God whose eyes go to and fro over the earth, beholding the good and the evil. I'm glad that he sees. And I'm glad, thank God, that when I need a word from heaven, hallelujah, he speaks. I've heard from him, haven't you? What I'm going to tell you in the last few weeks around the church, I believe we've all been hearing from him. And I say glory to God for that. That's what we've been needing around here is to hear from heaven. I want to say this to you this morning, hearing from me won't do you any good. Hearing from the Sunday school teachers, that won't do you any good. But boy, when you get to hearing from heaven, all of a sudden business starts to pick up. And what this world needs is to hear from heaven. As I preached on that last week, a God who speaks. I'm glad that he does. I'm glad he's been speaking to our hearts in these days. I want to preach a little while this morning if the Lord will help us. On a God who tastes, a God who tastes, you say, preacher, now you fell off the deep end right here. You're going to preach a whole message on a God that tasted something. Boy, you're exactly right. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number two. Hebrews chapter number two, and I want to share with you a few verses there beginning in verse number six. 
You say, preacher, you mean a God, a God taste? Well, let's look together and see what we can see. Verse number 6 says in Hebrews 2, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Of the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in submission under his feet. For that he has put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is put under him. But now we see not all things put under him. Look at verse 9. Are you with me? Verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. Watch this. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. And by the, that, by, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death. For every man. I'm going to preach out of these verses a little bit this morning on a God who tasted death for me. A God who tasted death for me. Can you imagine that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, God the Son, that he tasted death not just for us, But according here to the book of Hebrews, he tasted death for every man. Now the Calvinist would say that that every man, really what God meant to say was that he tasted death for the elect. He tasted death for the church only. For surely God didn't taste death for those who would never believe in him. But I'm going to report to you this morning that God tasted death for every man. And when the Bible says every man, that means every man. I'm glad that the door of salvation is open to everyone that believeth. I'm glad that God doesn't call anyone because of race or because of ability to pay. But I'm glad there's a God in heaven that loves all. Amen. I'm glad the door of salvation is open to all. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying this morning. There's not a Calvinist bone in my body. I believe in God being big, sure, but I also believe that it's a whosoever will salvation. I believe he's opened the door of salvation unto all men, and I thank God for that. Now, you say, well, preacher, there's a lot to that. I'm not going to preach all in that, but I'm just going to say that we see here that Jesus tasted death for every man. That means you. That means me. That means everybody. There's nobody in here that Jesus did not taste death for. What a blessing that is this morning. Now we're going to consider a few things about God tasting death for us. And I want you to think about it this morning, and I want you to think about how that he tasted death for you individually. Sometimes we think in the abstract, we think about Jesus dying on the cross for the entire world, and I'm glad that he did. But buddy, when you get to thinking about Jesus marching up Calvary's hill and dying on the cross for you as an individual, boy, it starts to be real in your heart and real in your soul in them times. When I get to thinking about how that he died, not just for the entire world, but he died for me individually. I was on his mind when he marched up Calvary's hill. I was on his mind when he bled and died. Boy, when that thought comes to my mind, it's more than I can take in. I'm like the songwriter said I can scarcely take it in when I think that Jesus loved me individually so much that he bled and died for me personally I want us to think about that for just a few moments this morning first I want you to consider with me if you will the condescension of Christ the Bible said here 
that he was made a little lower than the angels. Now, the book of Hebrews is a book of better things. You'll find that all throughout the book of Hebrews. What we found in Hebrews 1, I preached on it last week, Christ is better than the prophets. Those prophets that the Jews held in such high esteem. My friend, when Christ came on the scene, they had to say, that's him. That's him. That Christ was better than the prophets. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, we find that Christ is better than the angels. I say, thank God for that. Oh, yes, the angels held in high esteem among the Jews, accompanying so many of the Old Testament miracles. When they see the Lord Jesus Christ, they bow in his presence. uh, And Christ is better than the angels. We find in Hebrews chapter number 3 that Christ is better than Moses. And so he's better than all of these things. He's better than the law. He's better than anything that we've ever known. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace. He is the fairest among 10,000. He is the bright and morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is all in all. He is altogether lovely. He is the, hey, he is the day star. Amen. He is the one, the one that is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Lord. But in order to save you, he came down. He wasn't dragged down by anyone but chose himself. He humbled himself and made himself to be a little lower than the angels so that we might have a high priest that could identify with our sufferings. He became as we are. As we'll see in a few minutes, we were sold out under the first Adam, but Christ became the second Adam to redeem mankind unto himself. And so Jesus came down. Oh, you talk about a good God this morning, that he would be willing to humble himself, to come down from his high and holy abode, to rescue an old sinful man like me. I don't know about you, but I deserve hell. That's where I ought to be this morning. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. But I'm glad Jesus condescended to where I was one day. I'm glad he came by to me personally where I was at and made a difference, Brother Dennis, in my life. Can I say if I don't get to preach any more of this message, I could stop right now and shout the glory in that Jesus came down from the heaven's heights to rescue a sinner. I'm glad the book of Psalms said this poor man cried and he heard my cry and lifted me up out of a miry pit. I'm glad he came down to where I was. We see his condescension. He condescended, first of all, to redeem mankind. He came that he might redeem mankind. Now, the Bible said that he tasted death for every man. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. He not only tasted, literally what those verses, what that wording means there, is that he tasted every kind of death. He tasted every kind of death of death for mankind. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we all understand about his physical death. Everybody understands that, right? He went and bled and literally died on Calvary. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He literally gave up his life on Calvary's tree. But that's not the only death that Jesus died for us. He died a spiritual death. What do you mean, preacher? He was separated from his father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what a spiritual death is? A spiritual death is man being separated from God. 
And so Jesus not only died a physical death, but he died a, a spiritual death at Calvary when he was separated. So he tasted every kind, emotional death. He tasted that at Calvary. But I'm glad to report to you, and I may run and shout right here, that he only tasted. What do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible said he tasted death. Being the only one who was able to lay his life down, thank God, and then pick it up again. I'm glad this morning when I preached to you about Calvary's cross, that's not the end of the story. Jesus isn't still hanging on the cross. He came down and went into the tomb. And on the third and appointed morning, he was resurrected, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. That's the story of the gospel. That's the hope of mankind. That's the promise of salvation. I'm glad to report to you that while he did taste every kind of death, he only tasted death. It was only for a moment. And he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So we see that he tasted death, he condescended that he might redeem mankind. But there's some wording in these verses that a lot of people miss. He came down and condescended, Brother Neil, that he might renew, that he might renew his man's standing. That he might renew man's standing. Now, you can read through there. Now, uh, you can look through there. It said that verse number 8. Uh, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, he's not speaking about Christ there. He's speaking about man. You see, when man walked in the Garden of Eden, everything was in subjection under his feet. The, the beasts obeyed him. Uh, the fields did what he wanted. Man was, had subject, everything's in subjection to man. Man had rule over the entire planet. But you see, through Adam's sin, uh, everything got turned upside down. He no longer has a, a rule over the animals. You said, oh, now I'm not sure about that. Go out there and wrestle a bear for me. And tell me if you got rule over the animals. You'll find out real quick you don't have rule over the animals. And so he lost all that by sin. But what Hebrews 2 is talking about here, he said Jesus is going to come and restore. Now what are you talking about, preacher? Well, he condescended himself. And where the first Adam sold us out through sin, that second Adam paid for that sin on the cross. That he might redeem mankind, but he ain't done redeeming. What do you mean, preacher? There's a great millennial coming. That day when the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and man is going to be returned to his standing of having been ruler over the entire planet. You say, preacher, you think that's coming? It's in the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. There's more verses in the Old Testament about the millennial than there is about a lot of different things. I'm telling you, it's coming. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and thank God I'm going to rule with him. (laughs) Amen. And he is going to, through his condescension and the price he paid at Calvary, he redeemed the entire planet, you see. He's going to redeem it all back to himself, uh, and things are going to be put back in order and back under the subjection of man's feet. That's what the book of Hebrews is talking about. Read it carefully now. Some of you have been reading it wrong. Read it carefully, and you'll find out that he's talking about man. He's going to restore man to his natural position. He condescended to do all that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have been God, Randall, I'll tell you what I'd have done. I know what I'd have done. I'd looked at man and seen what all man done. I said, fool on them. Huh? Come on now, y'all acting real spiritual. But you've done the same thing. I'd have said, look at how they're acting. That's all right. I'll just let them die and go to hell. I'll come. I'll create me a new earth, whatever. If they're going to treat me like that, thumb their nose at me, I'll just not have anything to do with them. I'll just let them die. But I'm glad God in his long suffering, and I don't understand all that. It's beyond my knowledge. 
But I'm glad in his mercy and in his long suffering, God looked at man and said, I'm going to send my son. And his son condescended himself. He made himself a little lower that he could redeem mankind and renew man's standing. What a wonderful God. That ought to make a wooden Indian shout. I mean, that's a wonderful God this morning. He did that save you. I said he did that save you. He did that save me. I remember the day sitting on the uh, left-hand side about three-quarters of the way back in the Law, Law Branch Baptist Church. And I remember when God personally came to me, Brother Neil. I remember it. How, oh boy, I'd been under conviction that week. My dad had mentioned to me about getting saved. We was coming back from the Boyd Seafood House. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was laying in the back of that blue Subaru that we had. And Daddy said, don't you think it's about time you thought about getting saved? I thought, what a thing to say. You know, I'm full on slaw and fish from Boyd Seafood. And now you're talking about getting saved. What in the world are you talking about? Boy, God got on my heart and got to convict in my heart. I'll never forget. Uh, we had some boys that we'd invited over from a birthday party. And we got up under, I had a playhouse up underneath the steps. We was back in there playing G.I. Joes and killing Russians. Amen. When I was a kid, you killed Russians. That's what she did. Everybody killed Russians. We was back in there killing Russians. One of them boys said, I bet you Russia's got enough nuclear bombs to destroy the world 15 times. When he said that, boy, I thought to myself, what if that happened? I'd die and go to hell sure as the world. God got to convict in my heart. I remember them days real clear. And then one Sunday morning, thank God sitting at Law Branch Baptist Church, the Lord came by where I was. Now I'm just telling you what Jesus did for me. I'm talking about how he condescended to me. Now it's one thing that he condescended to the death of the cross. But let me tell you another time he came down through the person of the Holy Ghost. He came down where I was on that Sunday morning and he said, son, you lost and you need to get saved. I never shall forget the day I committed myself, put my faith in Christ and was forever born again. I ain't always been perfect, but I ain't never been the same. Amen. I've got a personal relationship with him now and boy, things are different. I'm glad he came to where I was to save me. How about you? I mean, really, how about you? Aren't you glad he came where you was one day? He could have let you die and went to hell. But he didn't, Brother Neil. He sent Preacher Beaver over there at Crabtree Baptist Church and Preacher come down where you was. He brought Christ down to where you were at. You see, every time, aren't you glad for that this morning? I'm so glad he condescended to save an old filthy. I may not get him. I got two more points, but I may not get past that. I am glad God came to where I was one day, a filthy, rotten, hell-deserving sinner. But he came where I was and saved me by his grace. I never forget. Let me share this with you. Not only do we see in these verses the condescension of Christ, but we see in these verses our captain who suffered. Look at verse number 10. This is an interesting verse. Verse 10 says, For it became him for whom all things and by whom all things are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Boy, that's an interesting verse. You say, preacher, I thought Jesus was already perfect. He was. But the Bible said right here that the captain of our salvation was made perfect through his suffering. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Well, it simply means this. It doesn't mean that Jesus was sinful and was needed to be made perfect, but rather he became wholly fitted and perfect to redeem mankind by sacrifice on the cross. Can I say to you this morning that what Jesus did at Calvary was perfect? It was, 
It was perfect. Mm, I, I, I'm feeling right good on that point. I said it was perfect. There was nothing left undone, nothing left to be done, nothing left to figure out. What he did at Calvary was perfect. Now, while he was in the garden, he looked at that cup. And he said, oh, Lord, that this cup would pass from me. He was looking into that cup of suffering and shame and sin. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so in suffering on Calvary, he became the perfect propitiation for our sins. And without his suffering, there was no way for us to be saved. Oh, we can learn from his life, but it's his death and resurrection that saves us. Amen. You see, death... The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Sin brings death. And so in order for there to be a substitute, there had to be a Savior that would die. And so Jesus died at Calvary to become our substitute. And by that, he was made a perfect redemption for mankind. I'm glad to report to you today. You may be in here and lost and don't know God, but I'm glad there's a salvation that's perfect for you. There's a Savior that's perfect for you. I was a bleeding captain of our salvation. That was perfect for you. He is without fault. He is without blemish. He is without fault. You say, I'm not good enough. Well, he is good enough. Amen. You say, I've done too much bad. Well, he ain't never done nothing but perfect. I'm just here to tell you, he is the perfect propitiation for our sins. We see the suffering captain of our salvation. But I want you to notice, if you will, just for a few moments, our consolation in Christ. And this is really why I want to get to preach. Look at verse number 11. I believe it's one of the greatest verses of the Bible. For both he that sanctifieth, that's Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that's us that are saved, are all of one. Really, and you get to think about that, just that part of the verse, that is mind-blowing. This same God, Brother Neil, that was better than the angels, that was better than Moses, that was better than the prophets, now he has made us his equal. Heirs and joint heirs, both he that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are one. That's hard for me to understand. That's hard, that's hard for me to figure out. He that sanctifieth. Now, I got to study on it. Let me give you three things right here. In Christ, we are part of an unbroken body. Somebody said, preacher, I know I'm saved, but I'm afraid I might lose it. Let me ask you this. How many of you this, this evening, if I took out a, a big old, a big old uh, knife with a big old blade on it and went to chopping my fingers off, would think that that's a good idea? How many of you say, chop, preacher, chop? Somebody say, stop that crazy preacher. He's cutting body parts off. He's lost his mind. He's mutilating himself. Well, when I got saved, I became a part of the body of Christ. You're going to tell me that Christ is going to start cutting parts of the body off? Oh, no, friend. 
I am part, Brother Neil, of an unbroken body. Now, I don't know what part I am. I don't know if I'm the eyes or the ears or the nose or the mouth. I don't know what part I am. But it don't matter. Because every part of the body is important. I've told you this, used this illustration before, but I believe it's a good illustration. I never thought much about my middle toe on my right foot being all that important until I got arthritis in it. It's the only joint as far as I know in my body that I've got arthritis in. But with every step, I'm reminded. Left foot steps and says, I'm young and vigorous. Right foot steps says, old man. <laughs> Amen. Old man. That right, that middle big, that middle toe on my right foot, it reminds me, Brother Noah, that it is an important part of the body. And can I say to you this morning, friend, I am in the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. And it's an unbroken body. Aren't you glad for that? Oh, yes. So we see that we are a part of an unbroken body in Christ. But then let me say this to you. We're part of an unblemished bride. You say, well, I'm, I'm afraid I might lose my salvation. Are you afraid that God might divorce his bride? I mean, surely we believe in a God that wouldn't divorce his bride. Amen. Now, I mean, really, you get to think about that. Boy, I put it to one of them. Fellows that believes you lose, I put it to him that way one day, and boy, I had him really scratching his head. Because, <laughs> you know, that same crowd believes if you divorced, if you get divorced, then you're just done. You can't do nothing ever again. And, and you, you know, you're supposed to not even come to church if you divorce. Lord have mercy, it's the worst sin ever. It's the unpardonable sin, according to that crowd. Well, I looked at him, and I said, do you mean to tell me God's going to divorce his wife? <laughs> she, he said, well, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> you see, we're part of an unblemished bride. We have been betrothed to him. Boy, that ought to make us, that ought to bring some joy into our heart. We have been betrothed to him this morning. And the Bible said in the book of Revelation, I saw a bride prepared for a husband without spot and without blemish. Can I say to you this morning that right now you and I live in an old sin-cursed world. But one of these days, all that's going to be done away with. This mortal will put on immortality. This imperfection is going to put on perfection. This corruption is going to put on incorruption. And I am going to be perfect. So we're part of an unblemished bride. Let me say this to you. We're part of an, un, uh, an unbroken building. An unbroken or a unified building. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we're told in the Word of God that the church is being built upon a solid foundation. We got to digging back here last week. Dimsdale come and helped us dig out a, a, a drainage ditch back here in the back. And boy, we got to hitting rocks. Clarence said, that, or somebody said, I believe it's Clarence. He said, that's the reason things are going so good around the church. We built on a rock. Amen. I say to you that we are built on a rock. The solid foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we build upon that foundation. And we're a building fitly fit, framed together and unified. That's what the church is. I don't know about you. I sure am glad to be a part of it fit together watch this as his body we are his life as his bride we are his love but as his building we are his labor oh my goodness I wish I had time to preach on all that right there let me give you one last thing I'm going to give an altar call not only has he made us one part of that consolation in Christ but watch this we have made him proud. Huh? 
Surely you misspoke, preacher. Well, let's look at the last part of verse 11. Look what he said. For which cause, for which cause, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, when I get to think about how sorry of a Christian I am, I mean, I re- when I look at my life personally, I really feel like I'm just a, a failure at a Christian. But then to read a verse like that and think because of his blood, he looks at me and says, I'm not ashamed to call him brethren. I'm not ashamed of him. I'm proud of my church. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Now, I know there's a lot better Christians in this building than I am do a lot better than I do. But I imagine there's some of y'all that just like me, you fail and you let down. Before you go to bed at night, you kick yourself and say, boy, I should have done better. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus, God looks at me and he says, I'm proud of that bunch right there. I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. <laughs> so you talk, about, you talk about some rich verses. These are some rich verses right here. For which cause, he said, for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He took his boys on a camping trip Friday night. And about two hours into it, Noah went to be a Noah. <laughs> and he's wrestling and choking people and bouncing and jumping. You know. Have y'all met Noah? <laughs> and he was trying to get... Jason in the full Nelson, and he had him in the headlock. And I'm thinking, he's going to kill you. Well, I looked over at Jason. Jason looked over at me, and we just jumped up. And when I jumped up, Noah took off. And I, I didn't even have to run him fast, Cody, because I knew he'd fall down. There was not a doubt in my mind. That boy's clumsy as an ox. I, I thought, he'll fall down. There's no need in even trying to chase him down. He'll fall. Well, sure enough, he jumped one stump, feet started flying around, slid, ah. And in the next instance, I'm up on his back with my fingers run up in two pressure points under his ears, screaming, stop resisting, stop resisting. He was going, I give up, I give up, I give up. But how about a God that looks at an old country boy says, I'm proud of that boy. How about a God that looks at a bunch of old rednecks up there all muddy on the side of a mountain camping out. He looks at that bunch and says, right there, that's part of my bride. I'm proud of them. Good night. I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. For which cause? I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. Well, that brings comfort to my heart. This week, you know, my garden washed away. Did I mention that? I'm a little sore about it. My garden washed away, and so I was down there one day this week with the tractor trying to stand back up while I could stand back up. I'm trying to... I mean, this is gone. It's a gone. I had the prettiest three rows of beans. And I let my daddy talk me out of picking them. Because he said they needed to be a little fuller. And then the river run through it. But I ain't sore about it. I was trying to pick it up. 
get all that picked up, that mess cleaned up. And I had my AirPods in and I was listening to a book on Elijah. And boy, about two-thirds of the way through that, I got under conviction. I got thinking about Elijah and how he hid himself by, down by Cherith and trusted God and how I hadn't trusted God like I ought to and how I doubted God. And I had to get up under the beans. I mean, I was low. I did it again, Neil. I come to his throne and I said, Lord, I reckon I'm the sorriest Christian you've got. I said, boy, I'm sorry. But you know what? Every time I've ever done that, he never has said, you're right, Bradley, the sorriest thing I got. He always says, come here, son. I love you, boy. You talk about a consolation in Christ. Having a God that would love you like that. He'd say, come here, boy. I know you're a, you've, you've messed up, but it's okay, uh, Let's get you back on the right path here. Let's get you back to God. The brethren won't do you that way sometimes. Friends won't do you that way. But I'm glad God has never failed to say, Oh, son, come here. Hey, I'm not ashamed to call you brethren for this cause. I'm not ashamed to call you brethren. Not what you've been through. But what I do know is there's a God that loves you. You may be here today and you're lost. You never have been saved. You say, preacher, what you're talking about? I ain't got no clue what you're talking about. You're talking about a relationship and the Lord loving on you and you praying and feeling his presence. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you can fix that today. You can come bow down before God and say, I want what that, I want that. That's what I want. I want a relationship, Lord. And you can get that. You may be here today and you're saved by the grace of God. But it seems like God has been a million miles away. And today he has said to you, I'm not ashamed to call you brethren. Come, come. I'm going to close this right here. Here's what got me under conviction in the garden. I'm listening to this book on Elijah. And he gets to talking about where the widow of Zarephath's son died. You know what, you know what Elijah said to that widow of Zarephath? He said, give me thy son. When they said that, God smote my heart. It was like God said to me, give me thy problems. Give me thy doubts. Give me thy heartaches. Give me your questions, son. Give them to me. Give me all them things you don't understand. Right? Give that stuff to me. I know how to take care of it. I believe there's some folks in the building this morning that if you'd give it to him, he'd take care of it. If you'd give it to him, he'd take care of it. You know why? Because for this cause, he's not ashamed to call you brethren. Let's stand our feet. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tasting our death, tasting our suffering. Lord, if there'd be one that's here today that's lost,